All right, let's, t- let's stand again. Let's open our Bibles tonight to Matthew chapter 28, uh, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. He's using his authority. He's saying, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father, we thank you for your word again tonight. Pray you would awaken it, awaken us in it. Help us to be solid in your truth and uh, awakened in you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. We have been studying uh, the book of Luke, uh, but we're going to take one week away from the book of Luke. We, we spent the first three weeks uh, talking about Luke, talking about the introduction and uh, some of the key things we need to understand. And uh, <coughs> if you will get online, if you weren't here for any one of those weeks and listen to it, uh, I believe these things will help you as you read the book of Luke, especially if you missed week one. Week one, we really took some time and talked about the culture of the day. And when you understand the two cultures that were active in that day, the Roman culture and the Jewish culture that Jesus was right in the middle of, you begin to understand how radical his teaching was. And you'll also begin to understand how much it's affected our culture and how much we've been influenced by the culture of Christ and and you'll begin to see how the world is trying to take us away from that and how dangerous, how dangerous for society that that is. So I would encourage you to listen to those things. I mean, you get to this point where you read about Pilate, and Pilate is saying, uh, I find no, no reason to crucify this guy. I find no guilt in him. Uh, he's not done anything wrong. I should let him go. And the Jewish leaders are still wanting him to be crucified. You come to an, an understand why the Jewish leaders wanted that. And you come to an understanding of how Pilate, even though he thought he was innocent, could go along with that and do that and not feel any guilt or any shame or any hesitation. How he could make that decision, even though he's saying, I find no reason. There's no reason to do that. Oh, okay, crucifying. Uh, you learn about you, you learn a little about, bit about the culture. You begin to understand how that can happen. Now tonight, uh, the message tonight is really inspired by some of our circumstances of the day, and how we are being the church is being influenced by the circumstances of the day. How we can be influenced. One of the, one of the really uh, places where we really have to be cautious is when our children, our grandchildren, our friends, our aunts, our uncles uh, wander into sin, wander away from God, and how we treat them, how we respond to them, especially when we love them so much, we don't want to be at war with them. And, and how we, how we are, how, what kind of responsibility we have to respond in that. 
how, what kind of responsibility do we have in a society that is pushing us towards acceptance of certain things? So we have, you know, one of our presidential candidates, as we've talked before, uh, on one of the recent debates said that uh, when he becomes president, that uh, all churches that do not perform same-sex marriages, uh, all churches that preach against uh, homosexual lifestyle, that he will take their tax exemption away from them. Uh, you know, what do we do in the face of some of those things? Uh, another one said uh, just this last week that, uh, uh, that in our prisons, that inmates have the right to taxpayer-funded uh, sex change operations. Doesn't that just excite you? Uh, so, you know, and, this, 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 and, and then you hear the audience applaud. You don't, you don't hear people gasping. You hear the audience, yeah, yeah, that, that sounds right. Uh, how do we, how do we you know, function in this world? And uh, what, what do we do? Uh, what is our responsibility in the face of a hostile world, even when it's you know privately hostile to us or publicly very hostile to us? And the first thing I would tell you is this: we have to awaken to the battle that is going on around us. There's a real battle about Christian morals that's going on and how Christianity is seen today. And we have to awaken to it, but not despair. The church has to come to this awakening that there is a battle going on. It is going to impact the next generations dramatically unless there's an awakening of the presence of God in our country today. And we need to know how to do that. Now, very simply... We, we have responsibilities in the kingdom that, uh, that, that Christ puts on us, no matter what our doubts are, no matter what our fears are, no matter what our personal desires are. When we put our faith in Jesus, he becomes our Lord. As our Lord, he has a right to tell us how to act. He has a right to tell us what's right and wrong. He has a right to tell us how society should be run. And we enter into his service, we have responsibility. So when we have family, uh, friends, co-workers, we have a responsibility to present them with the gospel. It's not an option. It's a responsibility that we're going to answer for. Just like we have a responsibility to the poor around the world to do something about it to make their life better, whether it's a small thing like Operation Christmas Child or whether it's a, a maybe a little more expensive thing to do a food basket for a family that wouldn't have, have a, be able to really celebrate Thanksgiving or whether it's ongoing giving to help uh, missions around the world. We have a responsibility to do something, and we should use, look at our lives and ask ourselves, are, am I individually meeting that responsibility? 
uh, when I go to church, is my church working to meet that responsibility? Are we doing what we should do as a fellowship of believers to meet that responsibility? And living within those, th- that direction of the Spirit of God. You know, right now we feed uh, 250 children every day that would not have food otherwise someplace in the world. We do that through Convoy of Hope. Uh, we, we, we do that through our missions giving. Uh, my hope is the day will come when we're doing that for w- one child for every person in our church. That we're feeding some child someplace in the world that otherwise would not be fed. I think that's a good goal, don't you? Uh, Keith Green, the great songwriter, used to talk about a generation's responsibility to their generation. No one can reach a generation except the people in that generation. It's our responsibility to reach the generation. So, we have several relationships that happen in this that we are responsible for. One is there are times we meet people in passing. Just maybe one time in our life we're going to meet them. And the door opens in some way. God opens the door. We are to be ready to share faith with that person. Uh, that can, happen, that, can, that can happen at any moment in time in your life. You just have to be aware and praying, God, don't let me miss uh, those opportunities when they come up. When that opportunity arises, let me be ready. Now, I would tell you, when I'm talking to that person, I try to stay, uh, keep my focus on the love of God for them, and the lordship of Christ in their life. They want to get off onto some tangent about uh, some specific sin. I try to just, you know, you know what, I'm not even worried about that right now. I'm worried about, do you know who Jesus is, and do you know that he should be the lord of your life because there's only one way to heaven, and you're going to stand before God someday. And then I try to just invite them to a church somewhere. If they're here in town, I invite them to our church. If they're in some other town, I tell them to go find a church. But I recognize in that moment that I am just one in a string of people that God is going to bring into their life, and I'll usually tell them that. I will usually say to them, listen, uh, has anybody else ever shared that? Well, yeah, a few people have. Well, see, I'm, I'm, I'm next in line. Well, no, nobody has. Well, I'm going to be praying that other people do. You're going to run into other Christians. And I write their name on my prayer list, and I begin to pray for them. Now, I know God loves them more than I do, and he's going to send other people into their life. I've, I've known people that it was six or seven people into witnessing to them before they really began to take things seriously. There was a series of events that took place before they really began to be open that God would, that there was a God that was trying to move in their life. And so if that's the case, I want to be a willing participant in that process. And in that process, if you're really early on in it, you may get real resistance. You may get mocked. You may get 
get ridiculed. You may be told to shut up and leave me alone. You may be told all sorts of things. Now, I would tell you, I, I try not to jump into those things cold turkey. Usually, there's some connection that's happened that gives, gives me the, that makes me feel, hey, I'm supposed to say something to this person. I'm supposed to talk to them. But I would tell you that one of the things we need to pray for in your prayer time is, God, let me not miss the opportunities. When the opportunities are come to me, let me see them. Let me understand them, and let me be willing to speak to them. And those can be some of the most exciting conversations you can have in life when you realize God has led you to this point and this time, and he's given you an opportunity to plant a seed in that person's life. And uh, whether it's an ugly response or a casually interested response or a man, I've been hearing this over and over again, response. All of those responses are okay. You know, especially if this person, you're going you're gonna to walk away. I, I mean, I've got people that I pray for all the time that, uh, you know, some I haven't seen in 20 years. I met them one time. They're on my prayer list. And I don't know what's happened to them. I don't know whether they've gone as way back before Facebook and we could ever connect, whether they would have wanted to connect with me or not. Uh, so you know, I don't know where they're at or what's happened to them, but I know God does. And so I just keep praying for them whenever, you know, I, I've got a little list, and sometimes I'll, I'll think about that list in my prayer time, and I'll go and just pray for them. I'll lift the ones I've gotten their names all right. I'll lift their names up and pray for them. So that's these people in passing. Now, the other group of people are the people we're in relationship with. And we are in relationship with, you know, family, Friends, uh, neighbors, co-workers. How many of you have people in those categories that are not saved? Yeah, they're not, they don't know Christ. Anybody here not have anybody like that in your life? I know I do. Uh, but we are also in relationship with our community. And as a church, we have a responsibility to our community to do certain things. So here's what Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. He, he says this to us. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses, lost its taste, how shall it be salt, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light in all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, especially in this world where we have an angry world, you may have somebody who's, you know, hostile towards you. Uh, because of your faith. You may have a family member or a co-worker or somebody in com people in our community that would be hostile to us, angry at us because of our stance on right and wrong and our stance on what is sin and what is acceptable and isn't acceptable. 
And their whole, the whole desire that's in, because this is, a, this is an act of the enemy, their whole desire is for us to accept it as okay. And so this hostility is there. And so Jesus gives us uh, what the church is supposed to do in the face of a hostile world. We are to be the light. We're to be the light in the world. We are to work at being the light of the world. As a church, we should be trying to be light in our world. What does that mean? We should be trying to make the world a better place. We should be doing things like, you know, bringing coats in for people who don't have coats. We should be involved in things like cum laude. We should be involved in ministries in our, in our community. We should, we should work at making our community a better place for people to be and just be the light of the world in it. And I would tell you that is the same thing in your personal life. With, a, with, with whoever it's in that's in your life, you want to be a light in it. Now, what this calls for sometimes is that we take the insult instead of biting on the insult. Instead of taking the bait of the enemy and getting in an argument with our family member or our friend every time they take a shot at us, that's most of the time we let it go. We don't, we don't get in the fight. The fact that they're saying that to you says that they know what you believe and they don't like it. And if they're saying it to you, it's not because they're open to be convinced otherwise. They are closed to being convinced at that point in time. And so the best thing we can do in those moments is just, for the most part, walk away from it. Just let it go. Don't get in the big fight with them. Don't go pick the argument or get into it with them. Uh, just let it pass on by. The other step is that we learn to serve with love. We, we've got to serve people in our life lovingly. Even when um, it doesn't make sense to the world. Jesus continually calls us that, and t teaches us that servanthood is greater than power. That we are called, he came, he gave himself on the cross. What did he do? He took every insult. He took every, every time he was hit, every time he was beaten, every time he was attacked. He took it all even to obedience to death on the cross and saying to them, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. He was being the servant to the needs of all of those people there in spite of how they were treating him. And he tells us that there are times when we're just to be the light of the world and we're just to be the salt of the earth in that thing and we've got to, the, the light of the world in that thing and we've got to learn this balance of when is the right time just to walk away and leave it alone and when is the right time to speak up and say something. So, you know, I'll tell you, there's times on, on Facebook, I've got friends on there that believe completely the opposite of what I believe and they will take a shot at me on Facebook 
and, and sometimes my friends will jump on to defend me, and I'm like, just, you know, it's okay, really. It's okay. Because what I'm going to do with that person, I'm going to go and message them instead of talking to them online. I'm going to go privately to them and begin to enter into conversation with them. And it's there where we, we get a lot more done. Now, sometimes it's so out there that I, I've got to say something, so I say something. But most of the time, I just move that to a personal conversation with them. Because that's where we're going to get someplace. When they call me names, and I'll, I've had them call me all kinds of names, my, my response is generally, well, that's, that's a good argument. Really got me there. The, the weight of that logic just blew me away. And, and so what are you saying to them? Uh, you're saying to them, uh, you're, you're not even, you're just so emotionally attached to this, you're not even telling me what you really believe and why I'm wrong. And, and that's a question I'll ask. Why am I wrong? Where am I wrong? And what's the basis for being wrong? Now, this, this is for people you're, you're in relationship with. But I would tell you, there, there's, there comes this time inside of our family where we don't want to be the person that every year at, at Thanksgiving dinner Uncle Bob takes a shot at us, and we get mad and take a shot back at him, and it disrupts the whole day. There comes a time when you just ignore Uncle Bob, and you just go on with life, and you just don't let that, you, you just, you're praying for Uncle Bob, and you're just going on, and you're not letting the turmoil of that moment, and, and just understand, again, he's saying that and doing that because it bugs him. It bugs him because the Holy Spirit is moving in his life. And we just keep, God, let, let him be bugged. Uh, there are people that I know that are really, really far from God. And uh, some with, with uh, moral lives that are really uh, challenging. And, uh, and, and we do business with them. I do business with them. And I keep doing business. I don't go look for something. Don't, I don't run away from them. And I've had people ask me, how, how do you do business with that person with the way they're living? And, and I, I, I say, how am I ever going to build a relationship with them to be able to speak to them as a friend unless I, if I run away from them? I'm not going to run away from them. I'm going to try to get next to them. And I like them enough. I, I'm, I'm going to get next to them enough where I can have conversation. And there's some where, where we have those conversations. There's some where I'm early in them and haven't had those conversations yet. But I, I, my intention is to, is to have those conversations. But I can't have those conversations if I run out of relationship with them. I say, oh, I'm never going to be around them. I'm not going to do any business with them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm going to separate myself from them. Uh, the only time that I really find myself questioning whether I should stay in that is if they are using uh, my resources some way to extend and, and, and expand their agenda. And then I go, well, I, I can't be a part of that. You know, I, I can't be a part of helping you do that. But I want, I want, what I want to be able to do is be in a relationship with them enough that uh, I, can, I can be a blessing. Now, here's the danger point. The danger point is they can be very kind people. They can be, it can be a, a, a somebody you love deeply, a son or a daughter, grandson, granddaughter, that you love deeply. You love them deeply. 
you can meet this person and say, well, this, this person's really nice. I really like them. You know, I know a lot, of, a lot of people who are far from God that I really like them. Can I tell you, sometimes they're more likable than some Christians you get around. Have you ever met somebody like that? They're likable. Now, here's the problem. I, I cannot compromise the message. I can't risk compromise. I've, I've got to recognize that they are kind. I, I can respect that they're kind, and I can try to be kind to them. But the temptation is, especially if it's a son or grandson or a granddaughter, the temptation is to justify their sin. The temptation is this. This is one of the conversations I, I was in with a friend of mine recently kind of sparked me in this whole thought is, the, the temptation is to just kind of throw our arms around and say, well, I'm just going to show them the love of Christ. Well, we do need to show them the love of Christ. But Jesus didn't just say be the light of the world. He said be the salt of the earth. And he, and he gives us this startling statement. If the salt loses its saltiness, how can it get it back? Once you've compromised that, how do you get it back? How, and once you've accepted it, how do you get your saltiness back? And then he says, all that it's good for then is to be thrown out and trampled by men. He says, all that's going to happen then is your faith is going to be trampled by men. It's going to have no power, no effect, no nothing, because you compromised instead of being firm. And that's, that's the hard part when you have somebody that you really love is how do we stay in relationship with them, love them and try to serve them, while at the same time making sure we are not deluding our own thinking or letting them be deluded in their thinking that they're okay with God. It would be absolutely tragic if we let people in our life that we love who are obviously outside of God's will to think that we approve of how they live and that God approves of how they live. Because that, they're looking for that approval. What some of our churches today are doing in, in, in the LGBTQ question is they are being a part of condemning people to a Christless eternity because they're saying, well, this is okay. When the Bible clearly says it's not okay. And they're making up all kinds of excuses. You know, I was talking with one person. They were saying, well, you got to go back to this statement and that's." And I'm just like, you know what? For the last, you know, 6,000 years, 5,000 years of Jewish the theology and the last 2,000 years of Christian theology, they've all believed the same thing. It's all throughout their writings. It's all throughout their explanation of Scripture that, there, that there's sexual immorality that includes sex outside of marriage, adultery, sex with animals, you know, sex with men with men and women with, with women. All of it is condemned consistently from the beginning of, of Jewish doctrine and Christian doctrine, and anybody who tells you anything different 
is somebody who's lying. It's consistently throughout the Word of God and throughout Scripture in Christian and in Judaism. So we, we are called, we must be the salt of the earth, uh, especially today in this area of sexual confusion. So we cannot celebrate sin or give the message that it's okay with God. We've got to be able to find loving ways to tell people it's not. We must give them the message that they are loved. Now listen to what God uh, speaks through Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 3. He says, at the end of seven days, the, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. He says, you have a responsibility to tell the wicked that they're in trouble. And if you don't, they're going to die in their wickedness. But you're going to be held somehow held responsible for that. But if you warn the wicked, he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way. He shall die for his iniquity, but you, shall be deli- but you will have delivered your soul. So, God says, if you tell them, now you're off the hook. You've told them. Again, if a righteous person, think about this, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he, he shall die because you have not warned him. He shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered. But his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. He's saying to Ezekiel, which is a, a, this theme, this, this passage that is revealed to us, that we have this responsibility to speak to these issues, to be clear about who we are, to stand on the truth. And our forefathers did that no matter what the cost They did that at the cost of beatings. They did that at the cost of property being confiscated. They did that at the the cost of martyrdom. They refused to compromise the message of the gospel. So again, it's tragic if they feel you accept them as a believer. So it's going to be strained at times when you don't. They may reject you for a time when when you don't. But that is the price we walk through for the salvation of their soul. Now listen, every victory in these areas starts with prayer. If they announce sin as if to celebrate it, 
uh, and they tell that to you, you've got to be able to look at them and say, look, I love you, but I've got to pray about how to, what, how to talk to you about this. Because we cannot celebrate their sin. We've got to find a way to help them through their sin and find the, the, the right. I'll tell you what drives me. You want to know what drives me as a pastor crazy? You know, I'll see somebody on Facebook and they will announce they're moving in with their boyfriend or they're moving in with their girlfriend. And then you see a bunch of Christians going, congratulations, oh, how cool, oh, how wonderful, oh, how, no, we're so happy for you. And I'm sitting there going, we shouldn't be. We should be crying out in prayer for them. That's what we should be doing. Walking that road, walking that road, uh, it is, it, it, it's tough sometimes. It's hard. Uh, one of our daughters had a baby before she was married. You know, we don't want to punish the baby. Don't really want to punish her. Grateful that through that she was repentant. Grateful that the young man was repentant. Grateful they eventually, a couple years later, got married. Grateful for all of those things that they did. But in the middle of it, we had to be careful not to celebrate it. Not to make it now. You know, thank God he's working such a redemptive way in the middle of all of that that it's absolutely been a marvelous outcome of things. But that's because God worked redemptively. So in the middle of these things, uh, I, I know with us, you know, our conviction, I'm not putting trying to put my conviction on anybody else, but our conviction was uh, for us that when it came down time for like a baby shower, we just said, no, if you want to do something for the baby, give it to us. But we're not going to have a party about this. That was our conviction. I don't, I don't blame anybody else for doing something different than that. But that was our conviction. That we said, we would really appreciate your help. If you'd like to do something for the baby, here's what you can do. If you want to do something, for them, this is what you can do. But we're not going to party about this. That was our conviction. And I think every family has to come to their conviction about how do we send the message about what's right and wrong in a way that is clear. And we were pretty certain at that point in time that she understood how wrong it was. She understood what she had compromised, that the young man had, but we wanted to walk through this thing in a certain way. And that's part of this process. Some of you may find yourself in a place where you have a cousin or a granddaughter or a son or whatever inviting you to their same-sex marriage. And you're going to have to really struggle with, do I go celebrate that or do I not? And I don't know that there's a hard, fast law for every one of us to obey. I think that we have to discern wisdom in the middle of that and decide what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. How do I keep the message clear to this relative of mine that I strongly disagree with this without slamming every door of communication with them. And that's, that's the battle every individual has to walk through as we find mercy in, in the middle of this. And so part of it is, uh, what's your relationship? So you, you have a cousin and they have the same-sex marriage thing going on or whatever. Do you even have the, do you even have the relationship to talk to them? Sometimes we just don't have the relationship. This is a de- All we have in that moment is prayer. Prayer is what we do. 
And if we don't have the, the relationship, all we're going to do is cause turmoil and be seen as a little wacky. If we have relationship, uh, then we have to be able to say something. But here's the deal. When we look at our family and our friends, you've got to be able to define in your heart. I think this is a responsibility of a believer. We have to be able to define in our heart, are they saved or are they not saved? Do, do, is there any evidence that they're born again? Now, we certainly don't know for sure. The, 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 you could very well have somebody you think they're really born again and they're not. And you may have somebody you think they're far from God and they really aren't. But if we get this kind of idea of, you know, honestly looking at the people we love and the people we like and saying, yeah, there's evidence in their life that this person's come to a relationship with Christ. It's, I can talk to them about this. It's pretty easy. Uh, I, I see the evidence of it. And here's people I don't see any evidence of it at all. We have a responsibility to have a spiritual talk with them. I'm just telling you, you've got a responsibility to have a spiritual talk with them. Now, I'm not telling you you've got to go try to drag them across the line of salvation. I think that's where we make a mistake sometimes is we kind of get, you know, the, the, you know, the spiritual laws out. We're going to walk them through the, you know, the spiritual laws, and then we're going to say, are you ready to get saved? And they're probably not. A spiritual talk isn't some evangelism tool to try to convince somebody to come to Christ right then. A spiritual talk is a seed-planting event. It's where you take them out and say, hey, I've got something I want to talk to you about. Can we go talk? And I want to buy you a cup of coffee. I want to buy you lunch. And you, you kind of have a good time, and you, you enjoy being with them. And, you say, and they say, oh, hey, I thought you want to talk to me about something. Yeah, I do. And you share how you came to Christ and what Christ means to you. And tell them, have you, and you ask them, have you ever had that experience with Christ? And do you have an experience with Christ? And then you say, do you want to know more? Now, I'm telling you, that should be done in less than five minutes, maybe about three. If you go for 20, you've lost them. you got about three minutes to say, I came to Christ when I was X number of years old because of X, Y, Z, and here's how he's changed my life, and I want everybody to know it because he's the only way to heaven. You can't get to heaven without it, and I want you to be in heaven with me. That's about as, you just got to go boom. Have you ever accepted Christ in your life as your Lord and Savior? Well, I don't even know what I know that means. I don't think I believe that. Okay, well, I do, and I want you to watch my life because I do. I want you to pay attention because I, I do. I am going to be praying for you that you'll see the lie of the gospel and God will send other people into your life. And I'm going to be inviting you to things at my church every now and then because it's really important for me for you to hear about, and I hope you'll come when I invite you. I hope you just come out and hang out with me for a couple hours because this is the most important thing in the world. There's nothing more important than this, you getting your heart right with God. And so I, I'm, I'm just begging you, I'm pleading with you, when I invite you, come. Come hang out with me for an hour. I'm going to do this three or four or five times a year. I invite you to come hang out with me. And if you're ever going through anything tough, if you're ever going through anything bad, if you ever feel absolutely empty and lonely, Call me. I'll be there. I will help you. I will talk to you about how, that, how this all works and 
what God can do in your life. What are you doing? You're trying to open the door to the conversation. You're trying to open the door. They look at you and say, do you think I'm going to hell? You've got to, you've got to be honest. You say, well, unless you've ever accepted Christ in your life as your Lord and as your Savior, I'm sorry. That's where I was, and if Christ had come, I would have gone to hell. And so would anybody else in this room, you included. Oh, you're just a hater. No, I'm a lover. I'm loving you so much, I'm telling you the risky truth. I love you so much, I'm telling you the risky truth. Because you're not there to argue with them. You're not there to fight with them. You're there to plan to see them. We have a responsibility to have those talks. Even when we know they're not going to like the talk. But you try to do it in a way that is as as non-confrontational as possible. Uh, at, at one of the funerals recently, one of my buddies from grade school was here. And this is a guy who, uh, diff- completely different faith background, really like him, completely different faith background. And we're standing out here, he was here for the funeral, we were standing out here and we are talking, we see each other about once or twice a year. And he looked at me in the middle of this conversation, he said, you remember when we were in grade school? I said, yeah, I, Sure. He said, you took me to church to eat with you with some, ch- with some children's event. He said, I remember going home and asking my parents if I could come, and they said, sure. He goes, you know, I've never, ever forgotten that. What happened? God planted a seed. So I said, well, we need to, how long are you going to be in town? He said, about two more minutes. So let's get together and talk. Uh, God is working in people's lives. We have to be willing now, one of the big things you can do is, is begin, to, begin to invite these people to church. Begin to invite your friends to church. About 72, 73% of the people that get saved get saved because somebody invited them to church. So we should be praying, God, bring your Holy Spirit conviction on our services every Sunday. Bring it so heavily and so mightily that when people raise their hand for salvation and pastor says, come on down here, that they run down there, that they're anxious to get down to learn more, that the altars are free for them to come uh, to the altar. You know, Sunday, uh, a young lady raised her her hand. I didn't know her. She's new to our church. She didn't come down. She didn't come down. Um, a few minutes later, I'm out in the entryway, in between first and second service, and I just, I just happened to run into her. And I looked at her, I said, how are you doing? As soon as I said, how are you doing? She started crying and said, I need help. I said, well, come with me. And we went back. I was getting ready for second service. So I, had to get, so I ran out and got Bob and Stacy and said, hey, can you come talk to this, 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 this lady? She needs somebody to talk to her. Uh, God will use us if, we, if, we'll, if we'll be aware. And so I just want to encourage you to, to, to be in, involved in, and to have these spiritual talks and invite people to church. Now, here's the big question. What do we do about people who call themselves believers but don't act like it? Um, so let me read a couple of scriptures for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have a Bible, look at chapter 5. Uh, verse 1 and 2. Uh, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you of the kind that does not occur even among pagans. 
a man has his father's wife, listen, and you are proud. This is what the devil does to us. Oh, we're so proud of our grace. We're so proud of our loving kindness. We're so proud of, of how we treat people. He says, and you're proud. You're proud of this and have put, and shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief and have put, put them out of your fellowship, the man who did this? He's saying, listen, you got this person who says they're a brother. And they're living in sexual immorality. It's not a thing to be, oh, well, we just, you know, we just welcome you. We, we have people come to our church on Sunday that they're living together. They're not married. They're living together. They may even have a kid or two together. I don't freak out about that too much until they get saved. When they get saved, then we start talking to them. We've had people come through the process of membership. And in the membership process, you discover they're living together. They're not married. And it's at that point when we discover that, we say, you know what? You're not ready to be a member yet. Let's talk about it. Some of those people, when you say that, get ticked off and leave. Some stick around and listen. And you know what? What really impacts that is when they leave how other Christians talk to them. I remember one family in particular. The guy, was, he was mad. He, he was ready to leave. He went out and talked to a friend who's a Christian, and his Christian friend instead of saying, yeah, that's really bad. His Christian friend looked at him and said, they're telling you the truth, you need to listen to them. And it absolutely changed his life. So we as Christians, you know, we can't be so mamby-pamby that when somebody says, oh, my feelings are hurt. When I ever hear somebody say, you know, the church hurt me, I always want to ask, okay, what sin were you in that they called you on? You know, because that, that's where most of it is. About 90% of it's there. Now, there's some people that something else happened, but about 90% of them, somebody called them on their sin and they didn't like it. But that's what the church's job is. We're, we're to call each other on our sin. If we're arrogant or we're prideful or we're selfish, our brothers and sisters should call us on it. And we should welcome it. Now, listen a little bit further. In verse uh, verse 9. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters. He says, listen, I'm telling you not to associate with people who act this way that are in the church. I'm not telling you to do that to people who are in the world. I don't mean them at all. Uh, He said, "In, in, in that case, you would have to leave the world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slander, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. He says, don't even go out with that guy. Now, see, Pastor, what what about if, if we call the person on it and they repent, then we gently restore them. We lovingly restore them. We bring accountability into their life, and we help restore them. But if they say, nope, this is the way I'm going to live, this is what I'm going to do, at some point in time the church is going to go, you're not going to come here and call yourself a Christian and do that. We're not going to put up with that. Now that's a hard, hard call. I've had to make that call maybe three or four times in ministry where somebody was saying, nope, this is the way I'm living, 
and I and I want to be in the choir, or I want to be in you know teach Sunday school class, or I want to be in a, you know looking at no, nah, no, nah, we're not not unless you repent. Well, this is the way I want to live. Well, you're not going to be in our choir if I know about it. You're not going to be in, in, in teaching in our Sunday school class if I know about it until you repent. Those are hard calls. That, see, that is not why a preacher goes to Bible school. He doesn't go there and go, but I hope I can kick people out of the church. That sounds like so much fun. No, he's wanting to welcome people into the church. But when a person calls himself a brother and refuses to repent. They present themselves to the world as a Christian, and they're not. Listen, there's, there's some ministerial associations in this city I will not go to because the ministers in them, they, they live compromised lives and they preach compromised messages. I want nothing to do with it. I'm not going to be a part of it because that, what they are is not what we're supposed to be. He goes on. What business is, is it of mine to judge those out, outside the church? So those people are outside the church. They're living ungodly. What? They're ungodly. What do you expect out of them? Be their friend. You know, do business with them, work with them, do whatever. Not my business to judge them. They don't present themselves as Christians. But are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Now, what makes that extremely, 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 it's difficult in its face. It's extremely difficult when they have 15 family members who are trying to defend them and are saying, oh, it's not that bad. And you're looking and you're saying, nope. Listen, the Bible's very clear about sexual immorality. It's very clear about this. It's very clear about this. We cannot do this. Uh, my own daughter, when she was in sin, Andy and he, was, in that moment, they both repented. Um, they, they'd, they'd been very repentant, and we still looked at them and said, you know, for at least the next year, for at least the next year, you're sitting down, both of you. Come to church, be in church, but you're not doing any ministry in the church. Uh, for the next, you know, when you're 17 years old, a year seems like forever. Now it seems like tomorrow when you get to be my age. But there comes a point in time when you sit and say, for the life vision of the church, we can't just ignore this. And for the health of that person. Now, at the end of the day, with, with our family, we were able to look at, these, at these, young, these kids when they were young and say, listen, at the end of the day, you can never go out of here and say this church, uh, you know, shot its wounded. The absolutely the opposite happened. This church came around them and loved them and took care of them and ministered to them and blessed them. And uh, that's what the church is supposed to do with, with our wounded. When they're repentant, we're supposed to respond. So people will ask me from time to time, well, you know, what, about, what, what are you doing with this person? What's the deal? I'll say, look, right now we've asked them to do four things, five things, six things. And they're doing every one of them. 
They're doing every as long as they do every one of them. As long as they do, as, as long as they walk through this, they're, they're getting in a small group. They're getting counseling. You know, they're doing X, Y, Z. You know, these are the five, four, five, six things we've asked. As long as they're doing every one of them, that is a sign of repentance. The second they stop doing that, then or, or they start saying, "When does this get taken off of me?" Then you're going, "Okay, what, what, what is, what's it really about?" Uh, repentance is as long as a person's repentant then the church should love them and restore them. Amen? The second the person isn't repentant, then we've got to sit and say, what are we going to do here? So that this person, the, the goal of expelling the person is not to punish them. The goal of saying, I won't be a part of this is so they will know clearly that the church thinks it's wrong. So get this picture. If the leadership of the church says, this person's living a lifestyle, they've walked out on their wife, they're having an affair with another person. Now, maybe people in the church don't know that. We haven't gotten up and said, hey, Billy over here has left his wife, he's having an affair, and he's doing X, Y, and Z, and because of that, uh, we're not letting him be an usher anymore, we're not letting him do X, Y, Z anymore, we're calling him to repentance and uh, now he's mad and he's leaving. We don't get up and say that. But what Billy does then is he goes to his 25 friends in the church. And he says, oh, the church is being so mean to me. You know, my wife's always been bad. She's always been, you know, really negative. She's always been, you know, all the X, Y, and Z to me and, and all the stuff that she did to me. And, and now because I won't live with that forever, they're kicking me out. And what, the sad thing that happens that time is sometimes people go, well, yeah, that's how our pastors and elders work. They're just looking for people who uh, are, are wounded to kick out of the church. Instead of looking at that person and go, you know what? We know our pastors and we know our elders, and they wouldn't do that. Something's wrong with your story. Tell me the whole story. They wouldn't kick you out if you were just wounded. That's not the way it works here. But be, because people choose to believe that, because some of us, especially some of us older, we have this tendency to doubt all authority. What we do is we support them in their sin. And they don't feel a call to repentance. I'll tell you one last story and we'll go. I talked about this a little longer. I went to. A number of years ago, uh, when I was first, first pastor, first couple of years, um, there was a man in our church who left his wife and went to live with another woman. And uh, I called him and said, hey, can we, can we talk? And his answer was, I am not talking to you. And we kind of batted back and forth, and man, you really need to come see me. Isn't going to happen. Not taking place. I'm, this, my, this marriage is over. We're doing this. It was a few days later that three guys came into my office. They came to see me, and they were all close friends. They had a lot of contact with this guy over the years, much more than I had. And they came into my office, and they said, have, do you know what's going on? They named the guy. I said, yes, I do. Have you reached out to him? I said, yes, I have. What's happening? He won't talk to me. I said, he just won't talk to me. I, I've called him. I've asked him to come see me. I, you, you can't can't make him, can't make him. 
And I'll never forget their response to me as they stood there. They said, this will not stand. This is not going to stand. They got in the car. I didn't know what they were going to do. They got in their car. They drove to the woman's house where he was living. And they knocked on the door. And he came to the door. And they, he, they said, he said to them, what do you want? And they said, we've come to take you home. And he looked at them and he went, okay. Let's get your stuff. And they got their stuff and they took him home. They're still married today. They live in another state, still married today. But that's because the church acted right. Those brothers didn't make excuse for him. They, they looked at him and they said, this isn't right. We're not putting it. You're coming home with us. Now, there's no guarantee it'll always happen that way. But it did in that case because the church acted right. He was in my office shortly after that, and we did get to start talking. And uh, it turned into a very good thing. But it's because three guys in relationship helped. Now, I'll tell you, this is why you want your families in small groups. You want them in small groups so that people have relationship with you and with them. That if you need called or they need called on something, there's friends that can do it. Amen? All right. I've talked too long tonight. I love you. Let's stand together. Let's pray. Father, I just pray you'd help us to fulfill our responsibility. Remind us, Father, guide us by your spirit how we respond to sin. And help us, Father, as we reach out to people around us who are lost. And as a church, let us be healthy and righteous in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Go in the name of the Lord.